Hello, 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 and welcome everyone to the National CMV Podcast. So excited for everyone to be joining us again today. My name is Kalia Fleming, and I am the Executive Director of the National CMV Foundation. Congenital cytomegalovirus, or CMV infection, is arguably the most common preventable cause of neonatal disability in the U.S., affecting more than 30,000 children per year. We know that it is the number one cause of non-genetic hearing loss in infants in the U.S. Therefore, to increase awareness and bring congenital CMV to the forefront of the conversation, to highlight advocacy efforts in the CMV space, what's going on in industry, and scientific advances with congenital CMV, the National CMV Foundation is proud to support this podcast with the support of our sponsor, Moderna, whose mission is to deliver on the promise of mRNA science to create a new generation of transformative medicines for patients. Super excited to have a great episode lined up for you today. And for those who may not be aware, October is Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Month. And so the mission of the National CMV Foundation is to prevent pregnancy loss, childhood death, and disability due to congenital CMV. And it is just so, so, so in line with the topic for this particular podcast episode. Again, as every October for Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Month, families, advocates, and researchers celebrate the life and legacy of those children lost. And we honor all babies lost in this space. And related to congenital CMV, we know that it causes about 400 infant deaths and an unknown number of miscarriages and stillbirths each year, unknown. Hence, we have a great guest today that I'm super excited to bring on in alignment with this month's focus. Um, I have the executive director, Samantha Banerjee, with Push for Empowered Pregnancy to talk a little bit about their work in the stillbirth space and all of the great activities that they have planned for this year and for the upcoming year. I am also truly, truly honored to have Join me as co-host for this episode, Dr. Jennifer Jenks. Dr. Jenks is one of the early career research awardees for the National CMV Foundation. She is also one of our new associate board members. So thank you, Jenny, for joining us today. Thank you, Samantha, for agreeing to be our guest today. We'll go ahead and just hop on into the first question. And so, Samantha, again, welcome. Excited to have you here. Um, and we'll get started. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got involved in the stillbirth space and a little bit about PUSH? Sure. Well, thank you so much again for having me here today. I'm really excited. Um, I'm such a huge fan of everything that you guys are doing at the CMV Foundation. And I just um, am so honored to be here with you today. So thank you. Um, so yeah, so uh, so PUSH. Um, PUSH is a national uh, 501c3 um, public charity. And we exist for one reason and one reason alone, and that is to end preventable stillbirth in the United States. Um, so um, as you might as you might guess, uh, I got into this work because sadly, I lost a child to stillbirth. Um, my first daughter, uh, my first child, um, Alana Marie, um, I had a totally normal, healthy pregnancy um, at thirty nine weeks, I went to the hospital in labor expecting to finally bring home our baby girl, only to be told that she no longer had a heartbeat. So that was a uh, massive shock. We had no idea that stillbirth even still happened in this day and age. Uh, and we'd never 
heard of it happening to anybody before. And, you know, one of the first things we said to our doctors is what, what are the chances of this happening? Um, and, and we were really, really shocked to learn, you know, our doctors actually at the time told us like, Oh, it's like getting hit by lightning. But when we went home and started researching online, we found out that at, at that time, this was in 2013, uh, one in 160 pregnancies in the United States were ending in stillbirth. Um, so not so I mean rare under one percent, but not nearly as rare as you would think. I mean, certainly it's not like getting hit by lightning. You're far, far more likely to have a stillbirth than you are to get hit by lightning. So um so uh the way I became aware of the National CMB Foundation is I saw um Kristen Kristen Spytech uh in who was one of one of the founders of National CMB, I believe, um in the media um, telling the story of her daughter, Evelyn Grace. Um, so having, you know, being a lost mom myself, you know, I have very quickly, I, I very quickly learned how incredibly important it is as, as a lost parent to have your child's story recognized. So now whenever I, whenever I see uh, other parents talking about their, their babies or children who have died uh, in the media, um, I can't skip it. You know, I, I take, I always take the time to take that time out of my day and, and read about the person's child and, and honor, um, and honor the way that they are continuing their legacy. Um, so when I read Kristen's story, it really stuck with me because she cited in it that one and one in 160 pregnancies, same number as stillbirth, uh, were affected by congenital CMV. And I was just so shocked because, again, I'd never heard of CMV. Um, certainly never gotten a, a warning about it during my pregnancies or anything like that. Um, so a couple years later, when I was um, ready to get pregnant again, I think at that, I think when I first heard about Kristen, I had had my uh, my second child, my son, Kieran. Um, I was my my rainbow baby after my loss. And, you know, um, it was a really horrific experience going through pregnancy again. The anxiety is just after a pregnancy, after a loss is just uh, through the roof. It's it's just absolutely harrowing through the entire thing. So it took us a couple of years <laughs> to work up the nerve to do that again. Um, and before I did, uh, I, I had in the back of my head from seeing from seeing Kristen's story, this this CMV thing. So I decided to look into it and say, you know, let's let's see if there's anything that I can do to eliminate one thing I have to worry about uh, during this this pregnancy. Right. So I asked my OB, my primary care doctor, and my son's pediatrician uh, to to give me the the tests for CMV to see if I had had it before, to see if you know my anyone else in my family had had it, uh, so I would know my status and kind of know what I was dealing with with this next pregnancy. And all of them brushed me off as being overly concerned about nothing. And they absolutely refused to test me, citing the expense and the difficulty of requesting the test. Um, so I reached out to national CMV for help and said, you know, is this a hard test to get, you know, it should, should it, am I doing the wrong thing here? And, um, and I believe it was actually Kristen who responded to me and she said, she just reassured me that it is only a simple blood test. She found me a doctor in my area who would be willing to do the test for me. Um, I actually, I didn't end up having user recommendation because I ended up switching OBs. And who again was like, oh yeah, it's a blood test, no problem. So through, you know, before my before I got pregnant, and then throughout that pregnancy, at least once a trimester, I was getting tested for CMV. Um, and 
you guys were just so helpful, just so incredibly helpful, um, not only in responding to me, but just the information on your website was so useful, so practical. Um, and so I felt really, um, really empowered after that. And so I have been raising awareness with every every pregnant woman I know ever since, um, because again, this is not something that you hear about uh, from most doctors. And I think it's um, particularly appalling that no one bothers to tell you about CMV when, you know, pregnant moms are, are the people who are around small children and in, you know, the highest risk areas like, you know, preschools and daycares and um, just working just in situations where they're most likely to contract CMV while pregnant. So, um, so I always try to do my part to get the word out about it. And it just always stuck with me. I was just so, so appreciative of the way that Kristen really empowered me to advocate for myself and for my baby. And she said, you know, her, her exact words were, you should never feel ridiculous for trying to be proactive about your health. And that is a message that we have just completely embraced and um, try to reinforce now through all of our work with PUSH. Um, that's why we called ourselves PUSH for Empowered Pregnancy, because, um, of course, our goal, our end goal is preventing stillbirths. But the way we're going to do that is by empowering moms and families and the and the providers who care for them with knowledge, with tools with resources um, and and making sure they know that they can advocate for themselves and the baby, that they are the best advocate um, for their baby and that they shouldn't hesitate to, you know, push for whatever it is that they need um, to give their baby the best possible chance of making it home um, healthy and safe. So, yeah, so that, that's kind of my background. Awesome. Thank you. And I love, love, love. That is so Kristen. I love her spirit. The recommendation is so true. And I just think that other comments like getting hit by lightning is just such a horrible metaphor. I live in Florida, so that's actually very common. So um, horrible analogy. But we thank you so much just for your advocacy and efforts to increase awareness for our work. So Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for all you guys are doing to to get the word out. I mean, I was so shocked when I saw that stat again on your website. Ninety percent of pregnant women have never been told about CMV. It was that, is that the right stat? Did I get that right? Ninety-one percent. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's um, it's appalling, and it's the same. It's exactly the same in in the world of stillbirth. So there's just so many parallels between you know um, the work that we're we're doing. Um, you know, recently for to kick off, you mentioned that October is, is awareness month for pregnancy and infant loss. So, uh, to kick off the month, my team at push actually, um, put together this demonstration. We called it the New York city onesie walk. Uh, and we took 900, you know, infant onesies, one for every baby born still, uh, just in New York city every year. And we put them on a clothesline. And that clothesline stretched more than two city blocks. And we paraded it from Central Park five miles all the way down to City Hall because we wanted people to see just how many babies this is that that are being affected. And again, just in this one city, um, you know, there there are 23,000 nationwide that are still born every year. And the the research shows that you know, on the very, very conservative end of estimates, at least 25% of these deaths are completely preventable. Um, And if you look at the statistics in other countries and how they're doing, um, some, some people would say up to 75% of these stillbirths should be, 
should be preventable. Um, but, you know, walking through the streets of New York City, carrying these onesies and uh, talking to people on the street was really such an eye-opening experience because just like you find with CMV, no one knows about stillbirth. Um, I mean, everyone who saw us first, their first assumption was that we were, you know, abortion rights advocates or or rather anti-abortion um, protesters. And, you know, when we said stillbirth, they were just like, wait, isn't that like a medieval thing? Or, oh, what did, what did the mom do wrong to cause that? Or, um, uh, sorry, you're gonna have to edit me because I can't, I can't remember now. <laughs> uh, what was the third one people always said? Oh, or, oh, that, that must, that must only happen to, to poor people or people can't access a doctor. Right. Um, and when I explained to people that no, stillbirth happened to me and it happened to every family standing on this line behind me, I mean, their jaws would just drop open. Um, it's not something that anybody, again, just like CMV bothers to tell you, uh, is, is a risk until it's, until it's already happened to you. And at that point it's too late. So, uh, we feel very strongly that for CMV and for all the other causes of stillbirth, that families deserve to be informed and they deserve to be empowered. Um, so yeah, I just, I just have always, I don't know, I just always really connected really, really strongly with the mission of National CMV because I, I just see so many parallels between the work you guys are doing and, and the, you know, the larger issues of uh, stillbirth and fetal and maternal health and how just none of them are getting the attention or awareness that they deserve. And, you know, women and families and, and babies are, are dying as a result. It's, um, you know, we, we say about stillbirth, you know, the silence around stillbirth is lethal. Like it literally is killing children. Uh, and it's such a simple thing, you know, just like with CMV, you know, the, the prevention methods are so simple, you know, they cost nothing. You know, you guys are always telling people just wash your hands, just wash your hands frequently, you know, don't eat stuff out of your kid's mouth. Like, it's not rocket science, right? And it's the same thing when it comes to stillbirth. The messages that we learn as lost moms, again, too late after our babies have already died. And then once we are in, you know, uh, what's considered high, a high risk subsequent pregnancy, um, all of a sudden you start hearing things like, oh yeah, well, you got to make sure you really pay attention to your baby's movements. Um, you know, the old rule, the the 10 kicks in two hours, that's not really um, accurate anymore. You know, the most important thing is to know your normal, know what's normal for your baby. Um, and if you notice any change, always ask. The first thing you do, if you, if, you know, if your baby is a baby that normally kicks, you know, 10 times in three minutes, and then you go an hour and you barely felt them, that's worth a call to your doctor um, and probably even worth a, a if, uh, heading over to your, your nearest hospital to get checked out. Um, because sometimes these things can happen without warning and your baby's movements is their best way to communicate with you. Uh, the other, other things are things like, um, falling asleep on your side in the third trimester, um, for, for providers doing a third trimester ultrasound routinely to check the growth of the baby, you know, and I, I think you see this with, with congenital CMV babies, babies often too, is, um, when there is a lot, when there is fetal growth restriction, uh, it's very, very closely um, 
associated with all kinds of adverse outcomes, whether that's stillbirth, um, developmental delays, um, you know, uh, complicated births, uh, birth interventions, all those things are very, very closely linked with fetal growth restriction. And yet, no one is actually in a in a in a typical lover's pregnancy. No one in the U.S. is bothering to check if the baby is growth restricted. You know, after your anatomy scan at 20 weeks, um, that's insane. That like, how are we supposed to catch babies that are at risk if we're not even bothering to look at them for the entire second half of the pregnancy? Um, so there are just there's so many easy easy things that we can be doing. So much low hanging fruit, and most of it is simply just communicating with pregnant people and empowering them with this information. So what we are doing at PUSH is is kind of taking it from two angles. Um, we are going first top down through the medical industry and just trying to get in touch with um, ACOG, you know, the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology and um, SMFM, which is the Society for Fetal Maternal Medicine. Uh, those are the two big um, medical groups, professional groups for all the doctors, uh, both obstetricians and high risk, um, you know, uh, maternal fetal medicine specialists um, to make sure that they're aware of, you know, the de- developments in, in the science and, um, and what, they're, what they're doing in other countries, because that's what we're seeing now is uh, there are, there's so much going on internationally for stillbirth prevention, and we are so behind. Um, so we're trying to get that information to them and say, hey, you know, if everybody else can do it, we can do it too. And then the other half of our work is going, you know, bottom up directly to to moms and families to say, hey, these are the things that we wish somebody had told us and might have made a difference in giving our babies a chance. And we want to make sure that you're empowered with that information um, because no one ever, ever gave it to us. So, yeah, so that's that's kind of where what we are have been working on and, um, you know, how I find myself always um, also throwing in stuff for CMB and trying to get the word out about that. Thank you so much for sharing your story and your motivation to be involved with PUSH and now with um, raising awareness also for what the National CMB Foundation is doing. I think that your whole mission is um, for educating families and parents and also getting involved with the medical community um, to raise awareness, particularly of stillbirth, uh, is is so important. And like you're saying, a lot of the interventions that we can recommend to patients um, and their families are, are sometimes very straightforward and simple. They're things that can be accessible um, by the by most people um, in terms of like hand washing, et cetera. Um, and really some, some of this uh, is just about reaching people with education um, and making sure that providers are also aware of these issues. So thank you so much for, uh, for everything you're doing. It's, it's wonderful to be talking with you about this today. Um, I guess I was wondering if you could, could you elaborate a little bit on the history of PUSH? Sure, absolutely. So uh, PUSH is actually, we don't have a very long history. We are, we just launched uh, in May of this year, 2021. Um, so we are, we are a brand new org. Uh, many of us are have been involved in the baby loss community uh, for several years. And, um, you know, there's a lot of really, really fantastic organizations out there that are doing perinatal bereavement um, support type stuff, especially in the last few years. I mean, that that community has really, really flourished, especially through social media. Um, and there are a handful of foundations who are doing some stuff with 
research um, and a little bit of awareness here and there. But we just, you know, again, my loss was eight years ago and the statistics have, have barely changed since then. And um, there's just nobody out there who's really, really aggressively pushing on prevention. And of course, the first step for prevention is always awareness. So that was um, that was our our goal with PUSH. So, you know, we, we were founded by about two dozen families um, across the U.S. Probably about a third of us are in the are in the New York metro area, which is where I live. And uh, we said our goal is to we are we are just doing prevention stuff like we we are just we are going to lower the rate of stillbirth, whatever it takes, whatever it takes. And we are here to just relentlessly fight that fight until we start to see that needle move. Um, so we have been, it's been a whirlwind of a year. It's only been, oh my God, it's only been six months. And I feel like so much has happened already. Um, but it's been fantastic. I mean, we're, we're flying by the seat of our pants. It feels like, but so many good things are happening. You know, already we are seeing, um, we launched in May with our Silver Symposium, which was a free online event uh, where we we brought, I think it was about a dozen um, experts in, in stillbirth uh, prevention and diagnosis um, to come and each give really brief, but really, really information packed um, sessions about, about their work, uh, about 10 minutes. They each did about a 10 minute session and it just touched on so many topics and, and it was just so chock full of just useful, useful tidbits. Um, we had, it, it really, it really took off. We had a, a really um, amazing reception to that and things have kind of just grown from there. You know, our social media following has been exploding. Uh, we've had a handful of really, really amazing collaborations with some really popular um, accounts for expectant, expectant moms, um, which has been fantastic. Cause again, we're, we're getting those messages about, you know, paying attention to your baby's movements and knowing what's normal for you and speaking up and, and always, um, you know, we like, we love, we, uh, we borrowed from the preeclampsia foundation. They came up with this excellent hashtag, uh, hashtag use your mom voice. So that's what we tell people. If you're trying to raise, uh, if you're trying to raise concerns with your doctor and they're not listening, use your mom voice because you are your baby's best advocate. Um, and just like Kristen told me, you should never feel bad about being proactive about your health or your child's health. So, um, yeah, so we've been, we've been doing a lot of stuff online so far and the other, God, yeah, we have so much going on. I don't even know where to start. So the, the other big thing that we have going on right now. Um, so of course with awareness month, I mentioned the um, onesie walk and actually that was also to kick off our new uh, we're calling it hashtag still counts um, national awareness campaign. So we are, we are just getting it off the ground, but we are attempting to get out there in national media. Um, however we can to raise awareness of stillbirth uh, because what we have found is that just knowing that stillbirth is a possibility has a protective effect for parents. Uh, because if you know that your baby can die, you know, late in a perfectly healthy pregnancy, then you're much more likely to get, you know, checked out if you notice a change um, in, in your baby's movements or a change in your, your, the way your body is reacting to pregnancy. Uh, so, so we just want people to know the word stillbirth, know that it still happens, um, because that alone is is the first step to getting getting people, you know, the, the level of care that they deserve. So the Still Counts campaign, we launched that um, in, in, in October. 
And uh, we are, so one of the things we've set up is like a memorial wall where, where parents can come on and they can, you know, for free, put up their, their baby's picture and their baby's story. Cause we want people to see that these are not just numbers, right? They, these are, these are our children. These are, these are loved and wanted individuals um, who had a whole lifetime of hopes and dreams ahead of them and who were stolen from us at the, at the last minute. Um, and through the memorial wall, there also, there is an option to fundraise and what the fundraising is going towards is actually towards opening the very first rainbow clinic in the United States. Um, are you guys familiar with what a rainbow clinic is? Have you heard that term before? No. Can you tell us more about it? Please sure. do. And I, I have, but I only heard of it through your symposium, which I've shameless plug. That symposium was amazing. <laughs> okay. um, so good job with that. But yeah, go ahead and tell us more about it. Yeah. So a rainbow clinic, um, it's a really, it's been a really successful and really popular concept in the United Kingdom. Um, so in the baby loss community, um, as shorthand for subsequent child born after a stillbirth or other pregnancy loss, a lot of people call that a, a rainbow baby. Um, so they came up, and the thing is that, as I mentioned earlier, having a subsequent pregnancy is this is absolutely just harrowing experience. I mean, you literally just feel like a ticking time bomb walking around, and uh, everything is triggered because your your grief is so raw that even just going to the doctor's office and you know hearing the NST machines going or, you know, having to book your next appointment and having to explain to the receptionist that I know you normally only see people once every four weeks, but I need to come in more frequently because my last baby died two days before my due dates in front of an entire waiting room full of happy pregnant women. I mean, it is just everything about it is so miserable. Um, and then on top of it, of course, you, you're just constantly worried that your your baby is going going to die again. Um, so they started this concept in the, United, in the United Kingdom called a Rainbow Clinic, where not only are they doing all the most like cutting edge stuff in terms of high risk pregnancy, because those women who've had a stillbirth are actually five times more likely to um, have another one. Um, so they're doing all the, like the amazing stuff from, you know, the clinical care standpoint, but they also have really gone above and beyond to train their staff, um, not just doctors and nurses, but also ultrasound techs, you know, receptionists, um, the person that you are uh, meeting with to make your appointments, like literally anyone that, that you interact with has been trained to be super sensitive to the trauma that you have been through and to always acknowledge, you know, your previous baby and that, you know, they were, they were a child and, and, and acknowledge the extreme, you know, anxiety, um, that many, many parents who are pregnant again after a loss are feeling. And they have had absolutely phenomenal results there. So the, so the first rainbow clinic was started by Dr. Alex Hazel, who, who I'm sure you remember from the, um, from the symposium, he actually gave like what I guess we would consider the keynote. His his presentation, we gave him twenty minutes instead of ten, so he was he was very happy. Um, so Dr. Hazel started this concept, and has, he's at the University of Manchester, and he has now delivered over a thousand high risk subsequent pregnancies. Um, and again, these are moms who are at five times the risk of having another stillbirth compared to somebody who's never had one. And he has only had three recurrent losses out of a thousand pregnancies. Um, whereas, you know, statistically speaking, 
in high-risk pregnancies, I mean, they would have expected at least 25. Um, and that, and the rate there is actually lower than the rest of the UK in the, the general population. Um, so absolutely fantastic results. And the patients coming out of it are just, have the most wonderful things to say about their experiences. So um, this has been going on. I think he started the first one in 2013. There are now about 20 of them. So all of us here in the US, lost parents, have just been green with envy watching our peers in the UK be able to access this amazing service. And um, yeah, so one of one of my teammates, uh, Fernanda at Push, she's um she's one of our, our co-directors of, of medical innovation and advancement. She called me up one morning uh, last fall. God, yeah, it hasn't even been a year. And she said, Sam, I want to start Rainbow Click. And I was just like, okay, how do we do that? She's like, I don't, I don't know, but I'm going to set up a call with, with, with Dr. Alex Hazel, if he will talk to us. And she did. And talking to Dr. Hazel, we learned that, you know, we had gone into it thinking, oh, we're going to have to raise like millions of dollars and like build a big clinic. And he was like, oh, no, no, you don't have to do any of that. You just need, you just need a, a practicing OB here who is, who's, you know, interested and passionate to do it. And you just start by setting aside, you know, an afternoon a week when they're going to only see these patients and they make sure that everybody on staff has been, you know, trained to do things, you know, this certain way. So he's like, so all you got to do is find, find the, find the OB. We're like, okay. And it turned out we got real lucky. We got, uh, again, we're in the New York metro area. Several people on our team had seen um, Dr. Joanne Stone, who is a maternal fetal medicine specialist at Mount Sinai, um, she's also the president elect of, of the society of fetal maternal medicine. So she's basically like the queen of all doctors in the United States. And she is fantastic. Um, I am jealous because I did not get to see her and my subsequent pregnancies. I did not know about her. Um, and, but several people on my team had her as, as their doctor in their subsequent pregnancies and they all rave about her. So, so we went to Dr. Stone and said, Hey, you interested in doing this? And she has been just such a champion from the, from the very get go. She was all in on this idea and Mount Sinai has been absolutely incredible. So, um, the way I got to this was what I was saying. So the fundraising that we're doing through the still counts, uh, campaign is going directly to the Mount Sinai Rainbow Clinic in New York City. Um, and they asked us to raise $190,000 for year one. Um, and that would enable them to, you know, cover all of the additional operating expenses and um, staff training and all, and all that stuff. Because it, it is, uh, again, in a subsequent pregnancy, especially like the, the Rainbow Clinic model, you spend a lot more time with your provider than you would otherwise. And you have a lot of extra testing and, um, you know, there's just, there's a lot more that goes into it than, than what you get in a, in a typical pregnancy in the U S. So, um, to cover all that stuff, they, they asked us to help with the fundraising and we managed to raise that amount in three weeks. So, uh, Mount Sinai, awesome. <laughs> that is like mind blowing. You all have done so much since May. Like I, this yeah, is just great right. to hear. Yeah, it's been insane, but yeah, so we, yeah, so we knew that it was ambitious. We didn't know if we could pull it off. We said we're gonna we're gonna do our best, and and we managed to. So, um, they're getting ready to to launch that like within the next few months. Um, they're planning like the the launch, um, the launch, you know, media stuff, um, soon. Like I think I think they're gonna announce everything in November sometime. So, 
Uh, so yeah, so we're super excited about that. But uh, you know, that that's just through year one. They do have, you know, there's we have to um we are we have committed to helping them through year two and three as well, at which time they think it should become self-sustaining. Um, and then our plan is to get these all over the country because, you know, of course it's great to have one in New York City. Um, and it's fantastic because anybody could fly in there and, you know, do a consult with her at the beginning of their pregnancy or um, you know, and get a plan which they can then go back to any OB. So it, it so it's great because it will be accessible to anybody um, who has the resources. But we, we really, what we want is these to be all over the country, right? We want anyone who is pregnant again after a loss to be able to access a rainbow clinic. Um, so our goal is, so Mount Zion is basically our, our guinea pig and we are learning, you know, the process and how to get this going and um, and how to adapt this model to the U.S. and, and then our goal is to get is to do this with other other hospital systems um, and get them in other cities across the country. So basically, any of the money that we are raising through the Still Counts campaign is going directly to this Rainbow Clinic initiative, which we're super excited about. The other part of it that's really awesome is that not only are we making the Rainbow Clinic available to to people to families who desperately need it, uh, all of the data from it is actually being fed back into Dr. Hazel's research database. So which is huge because again, the U S is just a much, much bigger market, uh, for pregnancies, you know, we're just a much bigger country. Um, so the amount of data that we're going to be pulling in, uh, to, to help study stillbirth and study complicated pregnancies, um, it's going to be huge. It's going to be really, really huge. So, and I know that's something that Dr. Stone in particular is really, really excited about. So yeah, it was just really beneficial from so many different angles. So that's, that's kind of the rainbow, the rainbow clinic. So that's been the big thing lately. Um, Thank you. Thank you. I mean, I'm just, I'm still like, I'm just in awe. Like I'm, I'm just here, like just thinking of everything you said. And since May to see this much momentum coupled with actual traction is just so positive to see, especially for a noteworthy cause. Like I'm just, I commend you all on your concerted effort and all the progress that's been made so far. I mean, Samantha, this is truly, truly awesome to see. And I knew since, I knew since attending the symposium that you all were doing great work, but now to hear it again and to see it through these examples is even more mind blowing. Like kudos to you all for this. And, you you know, I, I, I'm always excited to hear about the rainbow clinic and that initiative and your efforts, but I also want you, you know, spend spend just a few minutes before we wrap up, just highlighting or sharing, if you can, what else is coming down the pipeline as you think about 2022 and maybe subsequent years, any other upcoming activities in addition to the Rainbow Clinic, in addition to your prevention awareness efforts, what else can folks look forward to and how can folks find you to learn more about the organization? Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So we have, we have so much going on. Um, so. I would say one of obviously one of the biggest things that we are working on is this whole empowered pregnancy initiative. So we are working really, really hard to to just get in front of um, of expecting parents, however possible. And and the way we're really trying to do that is by partnering with people who already who already have their attention, you know. Um, So we're going to be going to, you know, all of the big pregnancy websites and, you know, the social media accounts and all the big books um, to, you know, ask them to, Hey, can you, can you educate parents on, on stillbirth? You know, there's actually, there's a shocking amount of misinformation, um, which is still widely available, not only on websites, but in like the most respected books. Um, So we're going to be going, going to all those one by one to ask them to, 
update that and to um, to get their audience to educate them on on these basic stillbirth prevention tips that anybody can use. So that's one aspect of it. Um, continuing the awareness month stuff. Um, so obviously awareness, awareness month is just October, but we, uh, we, we want awareness to be happening all the time. So um, once we move beyond October, actually the big thing that we are um, planning for is for next October, 2022, we are calling it the big push to end preventable stillbirth. Um, and we are marching on DC with a goal of bringing 23,000 empty strollers with us to parade past the steps of Congress as a symbolic um, call to action to say, hey, we need change here. This this is how many families are leaving the hospital without their baby every year in the United States. And our goal is basically just to shame our government and our medical system and, and the general public into doing whatever needs to be done to start preventing stillbirths and to make this a priority. You know, we are, the United States ranks 48th out of 49 high-income countries in the world in the average rate of reduction of, of stillbirth. Um, 48 out of 49 mm. high-income countries. And it gets even worse when you look, when, when you broaden it out, um, out of out of 195 countries in the world, low, middle, and high income countries, um, those are the only ones that I think that are reporting stillbirth numbers. Only 12 of them had worse average rates of reduction than the United States. So we ranked 183 out of 195 countries in the world in average rate of reduction of stillbirth. Um, and it's again not because so many of these countries, oh, like we're just better than them to begin with. So, you know, they have more room to improve. It's like, no, most of these countries actually have better stillbirth rates overall to begin with, and then they're improving them on top of it. Um, so we have, we should, we should be appalled. Um, and I don't think there's any awareness about this. Um, again, amongst the general public, amongst our government leaders, um, and we, and we need to call for change. And I think that we have enough families in in our country you know with 23,000 a year that are that are pissed off enough about this um that I think we can get them there I think if they know that it's happening they will show up and say it is time for change enough is enough um so yeah so that's called the big push um the other big thing that's coming down the pipes is we are working I mentioned the international protocols um they've been again really successful that they're starting to apply them to all pregnancies in the UK and Australia, they have these great, um, they call them the bundles, like Saving Babies Live Bundle. And um, it's, again, ver those very simple steps that we need to do about educating parents about fetal movement, about, you know, better monitoring in the, in the third trimester, um, you know, educating parents to sleep on their side, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and we want to we wanna basically emulate that model here in the U.S. So we are working on funding a large-scale pilot program. Uh, we're targeting 30 hospitals in the U.S. that would implement this with all their patients, um, basically to, to prove that it could be done here the same way that it's being done in other countries. And then finally, on the legislation front, there's so much. There's so much going on legislatively, which again I think will tie in nicely with with the big with the big push in our in our plan to march on DC next year. So uh, we're working really closely with partners at um, Healthy Birthday, which is the nonprofit that runs the Count the Kicks 
campaign um, with the Two Degrees Foundation and with Evermore on uh, a variety of stillbirth legislation initiatives. Um, with Count the Kicks, we are working on trying to get stillbirth added to the t Title V um, funding. So that's all the all the federal money that goes to states for maternal and child health. And it does apply to stillbirth, but the word stillbirth is not mentioned once in any of the in any of the Title V information. So we, you know, so it doesn't actually change anything in terms of, you know, what what money is available, but it makes it clear to the to the states that are receiving this money that stillbirth prevention should be a priority and they should be using some of that money for it. Um, with the Two Degrees Foundation, they just introduced this week the Shine for Autumn Act, which would bring uh, better reporting. There's a huge issue with um, stillbirth reporting and getting accurate statistics because it's kind of left up this, to the states to do whatever they want to do, and they're not all doing a great job. So this would standardize it um, across the federal government and provide you know long-term funding and better um, better training for to have pathologists who are really skilled at identifying causes of stillbirth. Because still, you know, um, about half of about half of families who have a stillbirth never find out a cause. And that's not because there isn't a cause there to find, it's because nobody's looking hard enough. Um, and we can't prevent stillbirths unless we understand why they're happening. Um, I was really appalled today, actually. I went on the CDC Wonder database to look up how many stillbirths are um, who are attributed to, to CMV. And I searched for the last five years, which is, you know, 125,000 stillbirths about two. There were two listed as being caused by CMV. Um, and that is just not accurate. Like there's, that is not the correct number. And it's not because only two babies died of CMV in the last five years. It's because nobody is properly testing and, and recording these. You know, the, the research that I could find, um, and again, there's not, not as much of it as I would have expected. Um, but the handful of studies that are out there in the last 20 years say that um, they estimate around 15 to 16% of stillbirths are due to CMV, congenital CMV infection. So that's around 3,500 babies a year. Um, and what we're seeing again in the other, in the other countries who are doing prevention stuff is that they are they have been easily able to lower their stillbirth rate by 20 to 30% right off the bat in a couple of years. Um, so, you know, that means CMV could be, could be half of that. If we were better educating parents about congenital CMV and preventing those, those infections, we could be halfway to, you know, meeting our peers in the UK and Australia on reducing stillbirth. So that was just crazy. So yeah, that's trying act would would go a long way towards fixing some of those like larger systemic problems um, that are making you know making stillbirth prevention and awareness um, difficult. And then finally, with Evermore, we're working on uh, some paid bereavement leave stuff, and we have a bunch of state level things going on to do stillbirth tax credits. So yeah, so there's a, there's a ton there's a ton going on. Um, so yeah, so in terms of where people can learn more and follow along and help get involved, if this is something that you're passionate about, uh, social media obviously is the first place. Uh, we are on all all major platforms: um, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Um, Clubhouse is our new big one. We are we don't have much on TikTok yet, but we would like to get there soon. Um, and we are at uh, Push Pregnancy. And and our second account, um, which is focused more on the um, the awareness campaign, is still counts org. Uh, and you know the easiest way to get involved on on social media, and it actually is 
is insanely helpful is just do those simple, those simple things, right? Like comment, share, share posts, because every time you do that, it tells the, you know, algorithms controlling stuff that, you know, this is important content that we want people to see and that other people should be seeing this. And then they show it to more people. And that is how we are empowering and educating families. Um, with awareness month, uh, you know, we still got about, we've still got a few days left. Um, you know, we've got a profile frame that you can put on. You can add your baby to a memorial wall, which will be up always. We're not going to be taking that down, of course. Um, obviously, like I said, the fundraising towards the Rainbow Clinic is going to be going on for the next couple of years at least. Um, so all of that is linked to at uh, stillcounts.org. Um, also, of course, join us in D.C. next year. If, if you or somebody that you care about has lost a baby to stillbirth, you know, now now is the time to to show up and say we're not going to accept this anymore. Um, so that is also on stillcount.org. You'll see there's a there's a Google form where you can RSVP, and that just gives us lets us know that you are interested in coming, and we'll keep you updated about all the details as that develops over the next few months. We also have a Facebook event, uh, so it would be awesome actually to do both because when you do the Facebook one, you know, other people will see that you're going, and um, we hope to to leverage kind of the viral neutral nature to get get the word out about that uh with legislative stuff um again if you go on our website uh pushpregnancy.org um we have a page devoted to legislative advocacy and it's all it's all again really simple just like just like with social media really simple things that only take a couple minutes you know making a call to your representative we have a we'll, we have scripts um it literally takes two minutes we, we look up your your you put in your address it gives you back, you know, your representatives. Uh, you just call, read off the script to them. You get, you usually get like a legislative aide or something on the phone, and they say thank you, and then you hang up. And it is so much more effective than you know sending an email or signing a petition or tweeting at them. Um, the calls really, really make a big difference. Uh, so we have, we'll have a lot of information about that on social media on our website. And then, yeah, the last the last thing, of course, is we're always looking for for um, for volunteers. We call them our change makers. Um, so if you go to pushpregnancy.org and check out our contact page, there is a sign up form there um, where you can give us your name and email address and just make sure you click off that. I want to volunteer for Pushbox. And um, that will let us know that that you want to join the team. And, you know, kind of our our philosophy, you know, we know, especially especially because most of our volunteers are families who have suffered a loss. So we are all grieving. We also know that, um, you know, most, most people are working and dealing with COVID and, you know, family stuff. And so we have really tried to structure the organization in such a way that um, it's really simple to volunteer. And even if you only have an hour a month, you know, we can help you find a project that you are excited and passionate about. Um, and just when you have a few minutes here and there, you can help out and you can really be making a difference in your baby's name. Um, and if you want to do more than that, or you have other ideas, you know, our, our philosophy as an organization is that, you know, we are here to empower you to create the change that you want to see. Uh, just like, just like Kristen Spitek empowered me to advocate for my babies. So um, there's so much we're looking to do over the next year from connecting with community partners, looking for partners to help us host the big push, um, looking for, you know, anybody who can help out with any, any of those little day-to-day -day things like 
posting on social media and, you know, welcoming new volunteers and, you know, there's, there's something for everybody. So, um, so yeah, if this is something that you're passionate about and you, you want to see change, we would love to have, have you on our team and whatever, um, respect works. And yeah. And if you want to learn more, I would just follow, follow us on social media, push pregnancy or check out our website, pushpregnancy.org. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing all the different ways that folks can get involved and learn more. I also really appreciate you um, just being open and sharing all of these nice, um, interactive, engaging activities that are coming down the pipeline. I think you all do such a great job of planning events that, you know, aren't just handing out pamphlets and flyers, but, you know, really showing people through tangible objects, the loss attributed to stillbirth. So I think those examples are great. I can't wait to see what all uh, rolls out next year and how the rest of this year ends for for you all. And again, I just want to thank you so much, Samantha, for your time today, for speaking to both Jenny and I and sharing with our audience the great work that you all are doing. Um, again, so grateful for your time. I cannot wait to push this out to our audience members so they can learn more about you all and your work. Yeah. Thank you so much, Kalia and Jenny, for having me today again. I am such a big supporter of everything that you guys are doing at the CMP Foundation, and we will be partnering with you moving forward to get the word out about CMP however we can. So thank you guys so much, and thank you for the, the platform to, to share our mission. 